Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in 3, 2, 1. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 91 and is being recorded on February the 15th, 2019. Today's topic, Spectral Scan, Discovery Season 2, Episode Number 5. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. This podcast contains spoilers for Discovery Season 2, Episode 5, Saints of Imperfection. I'm Eric Dewey. And I'm Aaron Gallo. This episode is sponsored by Revenge Lover Designs and Illustration. Stand out from the crowd. For more information, visit revengelover.com and mention the podcast for 10% off your order. Well, Aaron, we are uh, down a person this evening. Normally, uh, Eric Berry would be with us as well, but he is out uh, doing stuff this week, so it's just the two of us. Uh, how have yep. you been? Not too bad, fighting a small cold, but other than that, I'm okay. How about you? Uh, you know, I uh, can keep it on, keep it on. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Once again, I think uh, discovery and recording this show is probably the highlight of my week. So I'm looking forward to talking about this, uh, this episode. Cool. Uh, me too. So why don't we jump into the news? Sacramento will rename Richfield Park in Meadowview to LeVar Burton Park. Nice. Always good to have a former Trek person get something named after them, especially something cool like a park or a baseball field or something like that. So uh, LeVar Burton, obviously, he's done a lot of stuff other than just Trek. He's uh, known by a lot of people from Reading Rainbow and from mm-hmm. uh, Roots. And, you right. know, he's done a lot of stuff other than just being Geordi LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation. But uh, most of us know him best as Jordy. So, hey, good good for him. I think that's awesome. And uh, kudos to you, Sacramento, for recognizing his awesomeness. Yeah, I believe Sacramento is his hometown. Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense then. Yes. Sometimes people do that for their for their local hometown hero. For Sacramento being a big city in California, I'm sure they have lots of famous people in general who have hailed from there. But, hey, LeVar, you deserve it. You're a good man. But you don't have to take my word for it. <laughs> Follow him on Twitter, too. He's he's um, pretty cool. Next up on our news, something that I'm kind of excited for. CBS is in talks to bring a kid-friendly animated Star Trek to Nickelodeon. This seems really cool to me. I love the fact that they're bringing back Star Trek to TV in a big way. I mean, we've got Discovery already. They're in talks. To, you know, they're, they've got the Picard series ready to, to start going. Right. We're pretty sure we're going to get this Section 31 show uh, with Giorgio. I mean, it's been all but it hasn't officially been greenlit, but like all signs point to go on this one. We've mm-hmm. got the adult oriented animated below. Is it below decks or lower decks? Uh, lower decks. Lower decks. Um, and now the fact that they're doing an animated uh, kids feature. This is going to be cool. Hopefully it's not just hopefully it's not like too kitty because I want to uh-huh. watch it. I want to check it out. And hopefully it's not just like completely pointed at kids to where we're going to watch it going. Oh, this is bad. But I am still uh-huh. looking forward to it. Those of you out there with with youngins want to get them interested in the Star Trek universe. Um, hey, this might be a fantastic way to start. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too, because I'm sure it will be better than the 1970s animated series. <laughs> Um, a swift kick in the junk is better than these 1970s <laughs> animated series. Did you watch Nickelodeon growing up, or were you already an adult 
when uh, I'm not Nickel- that old. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I I uh, enjoyed the Nickelodeon. I remember the Nick 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 uh, whole thing. Um, watched a lot of their shows growing up. Not so much of their animated stuff. I was mm-hmm. a little bit on the older side, so I was more of the 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 young teen stuff um that you can't do this on television and uh i was a salute your shorts that sort of oh, thing yeah that's that's the kind of thing i grew up with I, I didn't get to watch a lot of nickelodeon because for the majority of my childhood we didn't have cable so mm. if it wasn't on broadcast tv i i wasn't check i wasn't seeing it it wasn't until later so that's probably why i picked it up as the as more of the teenage and tween age type stuff because mm-hmm. Nickelodeon was around when I was a younger kid, but I didn't have access to it. So Right. Yeah, same here. I loved Salute Your Shorts. Hey, dude. Oh, yeah. Hey, dude. I remember that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I don't, it's slightly off topic. You ever see Space Cases? I feel like I probably did see an episode or two. It was pretty good. It was kind of like Lost in Space for kids. Loved it. Different aliens. It was like a Star Trek, Lost in Space, kids, like cadets. It, it was it was pretty good. It was oh, pretty good. Maybe it's um, uh, available on one of the streaming services out there, and I can check it out. Um, it's definitely on YouTube. Oh, okay. Definitely. Kudos to Nickelodeon and CBS. I'm excited. I'm, I'm sure it'll be good. More Trek on TV is never a bad thing. We are all for all the Trek we can get. Oh, yeah. Well, to a point. I don't want it to be oversaturated. <laughs> It still needs to be good. It can't just be Star Trek. Like, don't just slap Star Trek onto something and be like, here you go. Like a set of teacups? But is, <laughs> is that what we're talking about? <laughs> mm, yes. And that's a good segue into my favorite section of the show. Would you buy it? This is one of those things that it, I think I might. Just okay. because it's kind of an interesting take on this particular product. Obviously, I love the character they've chosen to do this with. I don't know why this character would have these the abilities of, of this type of thing. It's not too expensive, and it's kind of a fun little thing. It's definitely something that I might buy and put on my desk at work along with all my other various uh, Star Trek and Star Wars and other you know nerd franchise materials that I have on my desk at work. I'm leaning yes. It's not something I would run out and buy, but if I saw it at a store, I'd be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to grab this. And what we're talking about is a Captain Picard bendable figure, and it's selling for about $9 from NJ Pro Say. <laughs> it guess is as good as mine on that one. <laughs> it'll eventually be on Amazon because this company also has a bendable Captain Kirk, which is for sale. And they also have Gumby. They have a bendable Batman, Robin. Oh, you know what? Now that I'm looking more closely at this, this isn't what I thought it was originally. I thought this was like a Stretch Armstrong, but oh, no. but Picard. Um, it's just it's just bendable. You can pose it and whatnot, which is kind of cool. Still, I mean, it's still I, my answer is the same. But I was thinking it was like a Stretch Armstrong. That's what I was like. Why would he have those uh, powers like Stretch Armstrong? Because that's what it looked like in the smaller picture. Like mm-hmm. I, that's. That's why I thought that that's what it was, but no, it's still pretty cool and just a little, you know, kind of keepsake if you're into Star Trek figurines and things like that or have a place to display weird little things, uh, like, for example, a desk at work. That's what I do with my weird stuff, so. (laughs) I think this would be good for, like, a younger kid because I know I'm not giving my kids my Playmates toys, 
or action figures of Star Trek. Those are too dang valuable, especially if you have like the first runs of some of those things. Man. I let a child <laughs> that was in my home play with some of my figures, and he was just like banging on them. I was like, oh, no, I'm taking these back. <laughs> you cannot play with this. Oh, you need to treat these with... These are Starfleet officers. What is wrong with you? <laughs> I was like, I didn't even do that when I was a kid. Like, what do you think you're doing? It, it's amazing how different kids will play with toys that aren't theirs compared to toys that are theirs. So, yeah, so two uh, thumbs up getting this. Uh, the only thing I'm kind of... I'm not disappointed with. I just wish it was a season three uniform and not a season one and two uniform yeah it's the the straight jumpsuit no separation between the shirt and pants but then with this type of figure there's really no separation between anything really that's, so that's true i just like the collar yeah yeah the collar's better on the uh yeah it has the actual collar instead of just the weird little v-neck thing yeah and the picture on the packaging is a <laughs> season three uniform so you gotta love when toys do that like here's the picture of the thing that we're selling but it's not the thing that we're selling like wait a minute <laughs> Close enough. It was actually uh, getting slightly off topic. I have a Star Trek Nemesis uh, DVD, and it has Captain Picard in the TNG Season 3 uniform and Data in the First Contact uniform. <laughs> You're like, wait, what? Yeah, I didn't notice it until a couple of years ago. I was looking at it, I was like, wait a second, something just doesn't look right here. <laughs> Then you'll have uh, Jordy in the background wearing the uh, Yesterday's Enterprise alternate timeline, you know, like you did at the end of that episode. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> no, I didn't even notice that until it was pointed out to me, though. All right. Well, let's uh, let's dig into this episode of Discovery, Saints of Imperfection, episode number five in this season of Discovery. Looks like we have a little episode summary. Is this from uh, CBS, like usual? Uh, yes, sir. All right. Uh, so Burnham and the crew navigate a dangerous alien landscape in a race against time to save Tilly's life. But Stamets is not at all prepared for what they find in the process. Section 31 is assigned to help track down Spock, much to Pike's dismay. Ooh, intriguing. <laughs> uh, overall, I think this was a very good episode and there was a lot to like about it. So uh, why don't we jump right in and talk about our likes? Uh, what did you like about this episode? So to start, the determination of Stamets and Burnham to find Tilly. I think it shows kind of a family connection. It seems like this, at least this season, at least, it feels like it's really hammering home that this is a family of people. Yeah, they're really kind of, you know, doubling down on this whole your shipmates are your family thing. And they're not just telling us that they're showing us that, which is good, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of times where they'll be like, oh, my shipmates are my family or this group of my family. And they tell us. But then the way they behave kind of belies that fact. Right here. That's not the case. They are definitely showing that they are a family. You know, as much crap as Stamets gives Tilly on a daily basis, he is the one who is heading the charge to find her. And he is the one who is determined to be like, no, she is not dead. There's got to be, I'm going to, I'm going to prove it and I'm going to find her. We're going to get that. We're going to fix this. He's the one leading the charge on this. Mm -hmm. So you see that kind of, it's almost like a sibling rivalry type of thing. You, you know that he gives her crap all the time, but when push comes to shove, he is doing 
everything within his power to make sure that she is okay. And mm-hmm. that's how family behaves. They're not nice to each other all the time. But when right. the chips are down, that's when things get real. And that's what they're showing us here. And I really, you know, I, I agree with you. The determination shown, not just by Stamets and Burnham, that's, those are who we saw doing most of the work, but we know that there was other stuff going on in the background as well. Other people were involved. And they're mm-hmm. still, of course, on this other mission that, you know, they've got a, they've got duties to perform as well, which right. uh, Michael points out in the intro voiceover situation. So, yeah. Yeah. And like the that slow-mo at the at the beginning was uh, phenomenal. I, I really dug that. And the look on their faces of like concern, uh, it felt real to me. I appreciated that. Yeah, the the acting in this series has just been amazing. You know, we've mm-hmm. talked about it over and over again, and every time they bring in new actors, we, you know, there's always that worry. It's like, okay, well, we've got a nice stable cast here. We like them, but now we've got these new people being added in. Are they going to be any good? And then they end up being phenomenal. So uh, I don't know who the casting agent is or the casting director is for Discovery, but uh, kudos to them because they are doing a fantastic job of bringing in people who are just experts at their craft and doing a fantastic job showing us the feelings of these characters. And going back to the family, like this cast in the short amount of time that they've been together have that family feel that Voyager was trying to convey but I feel like never truly did. Yeah, Voyager had that opportunity because you have this group of people who's literally stuck together. It's, you know, you can't just request a transfer when you're 70,000 light years from home and you're just trying to get back there. You you have to deal with the people around you at all times, and that's kind of how, how family can be. Mm-hmm. You, you have to deal with some people even if you don't necessarily like them very much, or and you, maybe you do like them, but maybe they push your buttons because they know you well enough to do so. You know, different things happen in a family dynamic, and they did try, but I think the nature of the show didn't really allow for it as much. I don't, I don't blame right. the writers or the actors even for that. I think that's just kind of the nature of the beast when you're dealing with network television like that. They didn't have the free reign to to establish those type of relationships as well because they were under pressure to constantly provide a excitement and adventure and some sort of drama every single episode. Right. Whereas with the streaming format, you can cram more in of this emotional stuff because you've got a shorter format. You don't have to fill 24 episodes or whatever. You, mm-hmm. you have your time to tell your story, and that can include this familial bond that we're getting. So once again, I think it's just an example of how the original streaming format of television is changing the way television is being written and performed for the better. I agree. Next on my list of likes, Section 31's advanced communicator technology that shows the organization has technology beyond that of Starfleet. You mean the one attached to his chest like a comm badge that he tapped on to (laughs) activate? That seems awfully familiar. What the hell kind of communicator is that? (laughs) I dug that too. I love that. It was like, oh, so they don't just carry those around for fun and to show off every now and then. Like those do serve a purpose beyond that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, I liked it. But it's I liked it more for the fact that it shows that Section 31 has all this tech. And that kind of leads into my next point. The hollow technology for the camouflage seems to come from or is inspired by the 22nd century Romulan hollow ship from Star Trek Enterprise. 
yeah, very well could be that's what they're going for. You know, it's not a true cloak in the sense like the Klingons have it or the Romulans have it later on. It's more of just, a, like they said, camouflage. Like they can't hide the fact that there's something there, but it, they can at least try to make it look like something it's not. Um, I'm wondering how advanced it is as far as how penetrating would scans have to be in order to see through that and determine that, wait a minute, there's there's a ship in that chunk of asteroid or is it just a visual thing where as long mm -hmm. as they don't actually scan us they won't know because if they were just if they're just using visual scanners and they look they're going to see rocks and asteroids or whatever it was but if they actually scan us then they're going to pull up our power signature they're going to pull up the fact that there's you know life forms and you know all this sort of thing i wonder how deep that camouflage goes at this time mm. yeah that's a good point um i would imagine that Discovery would be able to detect a power signature. So I, I feel like the signal must be masked somehow. Yeah, either masked or, like I said, they obviously had their own stuff going on. So they probably right. weren't actively scanning. They probably just had passive scanners looking for, you know, incoming warp signatures or other ships coming in, things like that. So if the ship was running, you know, fairly silent and not expending a lot of power, Maybe it wouldn't mm -hmm. have turned up on the passive scanners, but had they been like, hey, look at this uh, asteroid field over here. We're bored. Why don't we scan this? Then they'd been like, hey, wait a minute. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> and then they would have found it. But again, I wonder, right. would they? Have? Or is this camouflage even more active than that? Would it would it have appeared to them under basic scans as still just an asteroid or would it, you know, what would it take for them to see through this camouflage? Because we know true cloaking technology, we, st you know, even in next gen, they didn't have the ability to, to crack the cloak. So right. maybe we'll see some more of this Section 31 technology as the show progresses. I kind of hope so because I dig it. Mm -hmm. But uh, who knows? Maybe we'll maybe we'll find out some of those answers later on. True. And finally, on my list of likes, I have a short uh, list this week. Again, Section 31, those uh, tractor pods that they launched that physically latched onto the hull, probably more stable and reliable. When he said preparing a fire or firing whatever he said, I was like, oh, crap, he's going to shoot torpedoes <laughs> at the ship. It's like, wait a minute. They just said they were going to help him. Like, we're going to help you by putting you out of your misery. <laughs> Right. I was like, oh, no, what are you doing? And then I, I you know, the those three uh, things locked onto the hull. I thought that was pretty cool. Convenient that they didn't latch on to the little spinny part of the hull that they need to jump for yeah. the uh, spore drive. Well, although the uh, they had disengaged the tractor beam at that point. So That's true. they I mean, it could have been on there and it would just got knocked off the first time it passed through the the area where the the, the saucer spinny part. We've got to figure out a better name for that than the saucer spinny part. I'm sure there's <laughs> uh, a technical name that we don't know that's that's in the canon somewhere but yeah i get what you're saying yeah it was a cool idea the fact that it's like okay yeah we've got tractor beams we know they have regular tractor beams however this seems like a way it's like okay we need extra power so here's what we do we have these things latch onto the hull and then they have their own tractor either emitter or some sort of receiver to go back to the other ship it probably for like industrial towing or something like that you know when mm -hmm. a small ship is towing something much much larger or heavier more massive so yeah it was a cool technology and it was a cool effect to see so i i agree with you i dug that so let's jump into your list 
I thought there was quite a lot to like about this episode. Um, the tech, obviously, as you said, was was fantastic, seeing some of the new stuff. The tractor pods, like you talked about, I thought those were great. I don't know if those are necessarily just Section 31. Nobody seems surprised by them, so I'm wondering if that's just something that a lot of ships have and we just haven't seen yet, but uh, or if it is something unique to Section 31 that, that nobody else has. But as far as what I really liked about the episode, um, first of all, starting with the opening and closing scenes where you have Michael's voiceover, You've got these slow motion shots and these like kind of silent shots with you don't hear what's going on. You just hear Burnham talking. And at the beginning, it's very somber. It's very down. You you get this, you know, you obviously start out with her literally running to engineering to find out what's happening with Tilly. And then it goes on to her kind of going through the motions day to day. You know, she said, you know, it's like we, we struggle with this loss. You know, we all have these titles assigned to us, uh, you know, and the only thing that binds us together is our duty. So we have to keep doing what we're supposed to be doing in order to get past this. And you can see that the morale of the ship in general is just kind of down at this point. You know, Tilly's lost. They're not really having any luck with their search. They're, you know, but they're going through the motions still. They're still doing their jobs. And that's kind of what her point is. It's like, okay, when it comes down to it, at least we have our duty to go with. And then at the end of the episode, obviously, they've got Tilly back. They've got Culber back. They've got, you know, everybody. Everything is kind of looking up a little bit for the most part. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that difference when she's talking about the different the, the different things that are going on. And you get that same kind of voiceover with the slow motion and kind of silent effect in the background of what's going on day to day. But there's a definite difference in the way people are behaving. And it's so subtle. It's a thing that if these weren't great actors, you wouldn't get. You know, these are just people in the background, essentially going about their day to day business. But you can sense a difference in them. So I really appreciated the way they showed how the morale of the ship had improved over the course of the episode. Right. Another thing I liked, and this is this going on my likes list for now, but (laughs) here's the thing. If they do this one or two more times, it might push the boundaries of my likes and turn into a dislike. But I'm curious if we are ever going to get the person we expect when somebody visits the Discovery, whether it be in a (laughs) transporter pad or whether it be in a shuttlecraft. We are every time somebody comes and we're expecting one person it ends up being somebody else. It's like that first time where we're, oh, here comes Spock, here comes Spock. Oh, that's not a pointy ear. Who the heck is this guy? Okay. Right. And then, okay, here comes Sarek. We're going to see Sarek. Oh, nope, it's Amanda. This time it's like, okay, Spock. Yep. Oh, we're finally going to see Spock. Nah, nope, it's Georgia. <laughs> that's a really good point. They keep doing it to us over and over again. So far, it has worked. I hope it doesn't become a every single episode thing because I think one or two more times in the season is all I can really take of it. And then I'll be like, okay, now it's overused. But for this one, I liked it, especially because it was Giorgio. So, and I absolutely loved the look on Michael's face when she comes, you know, that hatch opens and she's there and everybody else is just like, oh, okay. And they start putting their phasers down and Michael's just like, "Uh uh-uh, no. (laughs) She's Mm -hmm. just still, if anything, she was getting ready to flip that thing over to kill. Like she was like, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't about this. And the look Pike gave her when she's, standing there still pointing the phaser and he's like what's your deal (laughs) which leads me into my next like which is just about everything about agent Giorgio's attitude in this episode I mean start to finish um, just absolutely the way she comes on board and just is like 
hey, I'm here. I am what I am. And then the, the way she plays along with Pike as far as him thinking she's the original Captain Giorgio and then later going to Michael be like, so your captain doesn't know who I am, huh? And like the fact that she doesn't know who does and doesn't know about her is mm-hmm. intriguing to me. Like, I like the idea that at any point she could run into a, a Starfleet captain or admiral or anything like that who might have been read in and know exactly who and what she is, or she's going to have to play along. And, you know, but until that's revealed, she has to play along. She has to, to pretend to be this other Giorgio. And so I, I really liked that. And that whole uh, exchange between them when they're in the uh, the turbo lift, and she's like, "The you know, I don't believe that uh, that Spock did this. He's innocent." And uh, George was like, "The innocent don't run." And Mike was like, "You ran from us." And she said, "Exactly." <laughs> I'm like, "Yes, that is so awesome." And then the fact that even through all of this, even th- through everything that has happened, there's still this strong connection between her and Michael, even though it's not the Michael that she knows. There's still this connection that that she cannot break no matter how hard she wants to and Mm -hmm. that led her to even you know probably use up a few chips she had saved to get what she wanted from leland to be able to help save them in this episode you know she kind of pulled some uh some blackmail out of her out of her pocket there that maybe she was saving for an occasion for for herself later on and now she's played that chip so it's very possible that she still has some sort of feeling for Michael, even this Michael, even though she knows that it's not the Michael she knows. Like she's still, you know, this whole mirror thing back and forth. And there are those briefest moments when you catch these glimpses of humanity from this Emperor Giorgio. Um, right. There was one on the on the bridge of the ship when she gets her way, when she gets the uh, the kind of the go ahead after blackmailing Leland into allowing her to give them the extra time. And she's got kind of this this small look of satisfaction. It wasn't like a smug, like, ha ha, I got what I want, but it was more, it was more of a relief and kind of, okay, I'm going to get to save them type thing that you wouldn't expect from the Terran emperor. And so I do think we are seeing these, the small amount of our version of humanity seeping in to this version of Giorgio. And I am, I am on board fully for that. So I'm curious to see if that continues. Right. uh, But yeah, everything about her attitude the entire time, you know, the whole like, you know, why don't you go back to your snake pit? And she's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, would you trust her? It depends on with what, because just in general and general, do you trust her? No. Okay. But if I feel that her interests and mine align even slightly, then I trust that she will do everything in her power to achieve her interests. Therefore, mm-hmm. I would trust that my interests would then be served as well. I also am beginning to trust that she does not want to see Michael dead. And so she does appear to be willing to put even herself and her ship and her other, you know, co-Section 31ers on the line to save Michael. And I don't know if it's because of some debt that she feels like she keeps complaining about the fact that you brought me to this cursed place or whatever. But at the same time, she saved your life when she did that. You were about to die. You were going to blow up Mm -hmm. in that ship. You'd be dead right now if it weren't for Michael. So you can complain about it all you want, but you do owe her your life. Right. So I'm wondering if it's just like a, a debt she feels for that. And she's, you know, that's why she does it. Or if there's still some feeling there for her version of Michael that is seeping through. Yeah, it's a that's a good question though because yeah, she is 
tricky that one and oh, we'll, we'll see yeah. just how just how tricky she's become but i think she's kind of digging her role in section 31 she even she said as much but again you know <laughs> whether you believe her or not she likes the fact that she's kind of on the outskirts of the law but still kind of doing you know the the quote-unquote right thing right maybe, maybe the wrong thing for the right reasons would be the best way to to put what section 31 is doing and has done mm-hmm Another thing I loved in this episode was just more and more examples of Pike being one of the best captains, if not the best captain we've ever seen on track. I mean, every uh-huh. single episode, he just keeps stepping it up to the next level. I mean, you see that that scene when they're talking to Leland and Michael's about to just lay into him. He's like, mm, I got this and just kind of stops her silently without you know chastising or whatever, but just like is able to stop her and just goes in and just has that conversation with them that, you know, is just laced with animosity but all the words are friendly it was perfect and then when he's presented with the opportunity to try and save tilly but the trade-off is that uh, it does risk the entire ship and crew to save this one person and he's like well she'd do it for us in a heartbeat you know everybody was like yeah she would and he's like yeah i'm like i barely know her and i know that she would so of course we're going to do this and then he gives that speech to the entire crew basically saying such like when you sign on to starfleet that's a promise i put my life on the line for you and you put your life on the line for me and that's exactly right. what we're going to do right now. We are going to we are going to get Tilly back, and that means that we're going to have to uh, take some risks. So we're going to do everything we can to mitigate those risks, get everybody over to one side of the ship, and you know whatever, do all that. But that little speech was just so fantastic, just the way that he presented it. Another example of him being an amazing captain. The best example I thought was when him and Leland and Cornwell are all interacting. Mm-hmm. And they all seem, and Leland, I think, is also really good at this as well, because I don't trust a word out of his mouth either. (laughs) When he apologized to Pike, I don't think that was a legitimate apology in any way, shape, or form. Like, that's Leland, the snake, spy guy, doing whatever, saying the right words at the right time. And I think Pike knows it, too, the way he's like, okay, it's accepted, because what am I going to do? Say, I don't believe you. Like, Mm -hmm. I think he's saying the right words at the right time to please both sides, to be like, okay, that way Leland thinks I'm not going to get in his way. Cornwell thinks I'm doing what she's told me. But at the same time, you still know he is going to do whatever he needs to do, whatever he thinks is right, to get Spock back safely and to make sure that Spock gets a fair trial or judgment or whatever the case may be in order to you know get to the bottom of, of what's happened. So, right. uh, again, just... I think Pike is very he's he keeps climbing that list. He keeps getting closer and closer to the absolute best captain we've ever seen and it's just such a small sample size so far. Just in these 5 episodes of Discovery, we've seen such great examples of leadership and teamwork from Pike that it just it really makes me think that this guy could be the real deal as far as the epitome of a Starfleet captain. I also really dug that they're continuing this theme of not only it's not just a faith versus science type of debate that they kind of have going on in this series. They also mm-hmm. have this kind of faith through science theme that they're going like they like they talked about before, you know, any sufficiently advanced alien technology or alien intelligence could be interpreted as a god and that's kind of this theme like it's like okay well it's you know a deity through science or faith through science as opposed to just faith versus science which is most of the time the the argument that you see most of the time 
mm-hmm. is the faith versus science. And I think they're really doing a good job of blending this. You know, Burnham even drove it home in that final scene, whether or not you believe in this particular type of deity, you still have to hope that if there is a guiding hand at play, that it's guiding you in the right direction. And this whole theme that they've got going on through this season of this faith, I love the way they're doing it. They're Mm -hmm. not going over the top with it. It's not overtly religious, and it's not overtly anti-religious. It is just an honest discussion almost about faith in general. And they're doing it so well. I'm digging how they're doing it. I'm curious to see how they're going to to tie everything together and how it's going to play out. But so far, I like the fact that they're doing it just a little bit at a time. It's a continuing theme throughout the series. I, I like it. Cool. Yeah. No, I agree with you. The special effects on this episode. I mean, we've talked about it all season long. They said they were going more cinematic. They have not disappointed. The effects we see in this episode were just astounding. I mean, the look of the mycelial network when Tilly and May are in it, the effect of the half-jumped of the camouflage of the Section 31 ship, all of these little things here and there, just the, the visual effects are beyond stunning. Everything is just so well done. And I also thought that the score for this episode, again, was... Uh, absolutely beautiful, where the music was just perfect with the mm-hmm. scene. Uh, they just did an absolutely fantastic job. I really hope that at some point there's a soundtrack released of the score from Discovery from season one, from this season, because the music has been absolutely phenomenal just across the board. And I appreciate classical music. I love listening to it, especially while I read and do other things. So I would I would be all over that if they if we did a if they released that and you throw it on the would you buy it, that would be an instant yes right there. And I'll tell you what, just a ton I think to like about this episode, but there's always things that we're picky about, things True. we didn't like. So, uh, what didn't you like about this particular episode? Actually, before I jump into that, I want to add one like okay. uh, that I completely missed, forgot to add. The moment Tyler walks onto the bridge and Stamets pauses and looks at him, and they just stare at each other for a second. Yeah, that was a just an amazing moment because you, you see Stamets, he sees him. He's just like this, 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 this guy, like seriously, but he's also very focused on his mission and he's able to recover fairly quickly and be like, okay, I can't do anything about that right now. We're dealing with this Tilly situation. I'll have to acknowledge that whole situation later, but yeah, he's just staring at him. Like, are you kidding me right now with this guy? <laughs> right. It was played very well. I, I did like that. And now, to my dislikes. Everyone seems to know about Section 31 now, and that kind of ticks me off. Yeah, it is interesting. I have that on my dislikes as well. It's It seems to be the worst kept secret agency in the history of secret agencies ever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, by the 24th century, and no one knows anything about it. And then it's really hush-hush in Star Trek Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And the only other major instance of section 31 that i can think of is star trek into darkness and that's also hush hush as far as i can tell and also an alternate timeline so we don't know how the section evolved post nero and all that like it may have been expanded or contracted or more compartmentalized after that Something like that can majorly change things like that. Like, yeah, it changed a lot of things, obviously. That's the whole point of the timeline shift. But specifically, things like that within the Federation, you have to think that agencies like that would be heavily affected by something like that. 
Right. Well, I mean, you have this huge <laughs> ship, the Vengeance, <laughs> just sitting there out in the solar system. Yeah, just in case some random alien future ship decides to come pay us a visit again. Who knows? Right. And in the, I think, episode three, first season, when Burnham's coming aboard Discovery with those other inmates, they have no clue what those black badges are. But the second Burnham sees it <laughs> in this episode, she's like, Section 31. <laughs> so either something happened between seasons one and season two where Section 31 became more well-known, or in that episode in season one, we don't really see Burnham react to much during that scene. That, that entire scene, the whole mm -hmm. scene where she's on the shuttlecraft and then when they get taken in by Discovery, she's not really responding to the other prisoners. Until they attack her and she has to fight back, she's really not responding to them. So they're talking about, oh my God, there's a black badge. You ever seen a black badge before? She says nothing. So she may have already known, you know, as a Starfleet commander, she may have already known, but chose not to say anything because why would she tell those prisoners? She has no reason to tell them. I can kind of think that maybe she did already know about it, but they didn't because they'd been in, in prison or they weren't, they were also weren't Starfleet to begin with. She was the only member of that prison group that had ever been in Starfleet. The fact that she didn't say anything doesn't necessarily mean she didn't know. That's a valid point. But your point is also still very valid that this is a supposedly secret organization, yet anybody who sees this badge seems to know exactly what they are and what they do instantly. Next up on my dislikes, Pike seems to know everyone. He knows uh, he went to the academy with uh, Giorgio, and he knows Leland. I mean, is every... <laughs> Every officer that he's going to see going to be like his like college roommate. Or I mean, what what's going on? I was your brother's cousin's second sister's <laughs> college roommate <laughs> or something. Yeah, it does seem, it, it's a little suspicious. I mean, it did play into the scene. You know, it gave a reason for Jojo to pretend to be the original Jojo and for her to, you know, ask the question of Michael. So it gave us that opportunity to know that she doesn't necessarily know who knows and who doesn't. So I think it gave us that opportunity, but yeah, it was a little, a little over the top. And obviously with him and Leland, I'm hoping that we get more backstory to that because it seems like they were once really good friends and mm -hmm. something happened along the way. And they are not friends now. They are definitely not friends. <laughs> right. I'm wondering if we're going to find out what happened between them. But yeah, you're, you're right. There, there are a little too many instant connections right now. I think it's just a matter of trying to push the story along at this point. Next up, Starfleet Admiral having authority over Section 31. Again, very interesting and odd considering what we know about section 31 does kind of lead into my theory later on so i'll touch on that as well but what do you think about it unless cornwell is part of section 31 which does not seem the case at all i don't see leland taking orders from her it just doesn't unless there, he has an alternative motive which i'm sure he does there's no way he's gonna be like okay We'll be friends and we'll solve this mystery together. Mm -hmm. That's that just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Yeah. The only thing that makes sense to me about that at all is the fact that it is specifically Cornwell and only because she's the only one that has direct knowledge about the Giorgio situation. So maybe she's been given some sort of special access 
to Section 31 where it concerns Giorgio specific. And so maybe that's something there. I did like that line when uh, Leland was like, uh, mm-hmm. so you're going to keep Tyler on board for a while. <laughs> He's like, unless you uh, would prefer Giorgio. And uh, both Pike and <laughs> Pike's like, no. And Corman was like, no. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh. Yeah, I knew you, I knew you were going to mention that. That's... Uh... <laughs> That was a good scene, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I agree. It's like, okay, a, a Starfleet admiral, unless they are, in fact, you know, secretly part of Section 31, wouldn't necessarily have authority, at least not the Section 31 that we know from uh, prior and post-timeline. Right. Next on my list, how easily he was able to be transported out of the network using the pod. It looked as though his matter was reconfigured using matter that existed in our dimension. Would Tilly's matter have also been reconfigured using the matter that existed in the network? And if so, how was she able to cross over? Well, I think they did kind of explain this. And that's when they were talking about their explanations, though. That's my issue. Yeah, yeah. I I, I kind of agree because the way they said it, like, I kind of understand what they're saying. Like when they asked her, you know, that was my first thought, too, when he couldn't cross the barrier. I was like, well, just use the pod. And then Tilly said, why don't we use the pod? And I was like, oh, okay. well, obviously that came too quickly. So that can't be the answer. So. But then when they explained the way they did it, you know, she said, well, I moved Tilly. And the way that they explained when when Damitz was scanning the pod, there were no remnants of human matter whatsoever. Right. Mm-hmm. So it leads me to believe that the way she described it, it wasn't the same process that they mm-hmm. used to create Hugh in the network that they created Tilly in the network. They actually moved physically all of Tilly's atoms from Right. the arm universe into the mycelial plane. Uh, whereas with Hugh, they created him from this going to get into one of uh, my dislikes <laughs> here as well. But uh, I, there was a difference in the way that they were done. And I think that's what led to, and the reason that may was hesitant to use the pod in that way was because that was the only material in our universe that could exist in both and so for her to use that up recreating hugh meant that they didn't have that connection she couldn't talk to tilly anymore unless they get back into the network somehow which is what you know eventually tilly made that promise that she would find a way to to talk to her again and you know all that's mumbo jumbo so agree with you i do think they tried to explain it but i do agree that the explanation left a little bit to be desired and i don't know if it was for time I mean, we had another long runtime episode. Yes, yeah, true. Um, but at the same time, these episodes still could be longer. We are on a streaming format, guys. I mean, just give us more. When we're left wondering, like, what? What? That's not good. Mm-hmm. That takes right. us. That takes us out of the story. Short, simple explanations are fine when you're dealing with simple things and you're just supposed to be suspending disbelief for a little bit. But major things like this, when you're literally bringing a character back to life, we want more. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I Maybe if they thought a little bit longer and it took another episode or two for this to happen, I would have been I would have felt better about it. But it seemed pretty rushed. It was like the last 15 minutes of the episode or so. Yeah, it looked like they were trying to cram that little bit in there, and it did feel just a little rushed during that time. And maybe we'll find out more. You know, obviously Culver's back. We're going to get to talk to him at some point. Maybe he'll have some insight from his time in the network, and maybe we'll be able to learn a little bit more 
that way. But as of this episode, which is what we're specifically discussing now, it does leave us going, what? <laughs> right. Finally, in my list of dislikes here, there's oxygen in the network. I've got, I've got, I've got two responses to that. The yeah. first one, of course, is the MST3K song. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering how they eat and breathe and other science facts... Just repeat to yourself, this is just a show and you should really just relax. But no, actually, my my real answer to this is that they point out that they are able to create pretty much any matter that they want to. They decompose certain types of matter to create other types of matter. So it's not inconceivable that they would decompose one thing and create oxygen out of the other. Especially if it was her intention all along to bring Tilly there, she would have made sure she brought her to a place that she would be able to. Uh, well, yeah, I, I guess she would <laughs> need to make sure that, that was a thing. It, it makes feel... about as much sense as every planet they happen to visit right. having a breathable yeah. atmosphere. But I agree. It's, it's one of those things that they've done so many throwaway lines for other things that didn't need explanations. They mm -hmm. could have thrown a throwaway line in there for there. She could have just, you know, Tilly could have come out being like, oh, how am I breathing? And make it have said, oh, well, I created, I, I recreated your atmosphere in here for you so that you would be okay. Boom. Mm -hmm. You know, like literally two lines, you're done. Nobody's questioning it anymore. It's over. You know, that, those type of throwaway lines I'd be fine with, as opposed to throwaway lines trying to explain why the Enterprise of TOS doesn't have holographic <laughs> uh, communications. Like, really? Right. That's what you're focusing your throwaway lines on? Like, you've got the time to throw in a line that doesn't really mean anything. Use it for this show. Don't use it for a show that's existed for 40, 50 years. Just use it for this show right now. <laughs> right. And it's also, I'm probably the only one that was like, why why are they breathing? There's there's going to be oxygen. I'm, I'm the only weirdo who's thinking <laughs> that. But yes, how about your dislikes? All right. Uh, well, like I said, I really did enjoy this episode. So my list of dislikes is fairly short. And we've already talked about one of them. Again, as you said, Section 31, worst kept secret in history. I mean, even the NSA and the KGB managed to say secret longer than Section 31, evidently. So that and when we get down to predictions, I've got some I've got some theories about that. But okay. for this episode, yeah, it's like, really? Everybody seems to know. And the fact that Tyler's just literally wearing the black badge on his uniform. It's like, OK, if you're a secret organization, like the way Giorgio does it, and she's got a little pouch and she shows it when she needs to. It's like, OK, I can, you know, they really shouldn't have insignia at all if they're right. secret right. secret. But at least she keeps it hidden away. He's just wearing it. And yeah, it played into later when he had to, you know, tap it as a communicator. But the fact that he's just wearing it and we saw in season one, they were just wearing it on regular Starfleet uniforms. So it's like, uh, OK, this is this is a weird version of Section 31 that we haven't seen before. We'll, we'll see how that plays out. Maybe it's Section 31A. <laughs> right. <laughs> Section 31.2. My biggest actual dislike of this episode was Pike's immediate prejudice against Tyler is the one thing that I've seen thus far in all of this season of Discovery where I've felt that Pike wasn't really living up to his character. Like, I understand he'd be upset at a person who was accused of killing another Starfleet officer. Mm -hmm. But I also know 
that he's been briefed on the whole situation. He knows that the Voke entity doesn't actually exist anymore. So I'm wondering, my, my theory is that it's kind of a residual resentment because he's still got this thing. There's obviously something between him and Leland. And so he obviously has some distrust of Section 31 in general. And so mm-hmm. I think that's kind of bleeding over. But just throughout the episode, I'm like from the from the moment he sees that it's Tyler waiting in the mess hall to when he's on the bridge, he's like, no, you'll stay on the bridge. You don't talk unless you're addressed and you stay on the bridge. And you're like, I'm like, okay, he really does not like Tyler. And it seemed a little out of character for him because it seems the Pike that I'm thinking that we're piecing together from these episodes seems more of the kind of guy who'd be willing to bring Tyler into his ready room and be like, okay, here's the thing. I want to know what your deal is. Are mm-hmm. you Tyler? Are you Vogue? Are you some combination of Vogue? What, what, who are you? And how does that relate to the Starfleet officer that you cook? Because I can understand him being upset by that, obviously. Right. Um, and I can understand him being upset that somebody who had done that being on his ship, even if he wasn't necessarily the one in control at the time. But I would also think that in this, in his day and age, when they've seen so much, they know that there's going to be situations where people are not necessarily in control of their own bodies. And this is one of those situations. Tyler was not in control of that body when that body killed Colbert. Mm-hmm. Voke was. And now Voke is is gone. And yeah, I can understand how it would be confusing because he then left Starfleet to go to Kronos and essentially be Voke in Tyler's body for a while. So I can understand the confusion, but it seemed out of character for Pike to immediately hate him as opposed to taking him aside and giving him the benefit of a conversation about it, at least. I see. I mean, I don't necessarily see issue with his distrust. I think it's valid. Distrust, I don't mind. Distrust Mm -hmm. is natural, and distrust is, as a Starfleet captain, you've got to distrust that which you do not know. But he seems to not just distrust, but dislike and almost actively hate Tyler. That's the part that that got me. It's like, okay, it seems to be above and beyond this whole, like, I'm not quite sure about him. Keep an eye on him. Watch him. You know, that would be distrust. I'd be okay with that. He seems angry. You know, he he seemed angrier at Tyler than Stamets did. (laughs) So I was like, wait a minute, what is going on here? That's my that's my issue. Distrust. Absolutely. Especially with his obvious history with Leland in Section 31. Right. No, I, I completely understand what you're saying. Like I said, absolutely. Yep. I would not just be like, oh, okay, well, Starfleet says I should trust him, so I'm going to trust him. No, absolutely. You're going to want to uh, keep an eye on him and make sure that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. But it it seemed out of character for him to be so prejudiced against him right from the very beginning to the point of snapping at him. And like, it seemed personal. And that's, I don't mm-hmm. know if that's going to be explained more now that we're going to have more, you know, Tyler's obviously on the ship now. Maybe we'll right. have that conversation that I wanted them to have. Maybe they just didn't have time time during all of these events for them to have that conversation. We'll see that. We'll see. And then the other thing I didn't like, of course, is the fact that all three of us, you, me, and Eric Berry, all said that we liked the fact that they were introducing this ecological threat to the mycelial network that we thought was discovery jumping. And therefore, they're like, okay, good. Now we're seeing a valid explanation as to why the dash drive is not going to be used anymore and never mentioned again. Because if it's causing damage to this sentient species, obviously they're not going to use it. Well, now we find out that no, that's not what she was saying. (laughs) Discovery wasn't causing damage to the network other than the fact that it had left behind 
Colbert. And Colbert was causing damage to the network only because he was trying to protect himself from the network. And I figured it was, I knew it was going to be either Colbert or I, I held out just a tiny little bit of hope that maybe it was um, Lorca just for a moment. <laughs> Lorca. Oh, wow. Because I was like, you know, because he like got dumped into a giant mycelial ball of energy. So it's like they, he, they said a oh. spike of energy. And I was like, oh. Really? Hmm. Okay. That, well, that would have been interesting. But I figured, based on what we'd seen, you know, the fact that we know that we were seeing Hugh again, and that we have absolutely no indication whatsoever that we're going to see Jason Isaacs this season. So I figured it was probably going to. When they started saying this monster, that and as soon as she said it seeks out discovery every time it jumps through the network, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I I know where this is going because. You know, why else would this creature always be trying to get to discovery when it gets into the network? But now our whole theory is shot to heck because, okay, well, they've taken him out of the network. He's not there. He's not causing damage anymore. The ship wasn't causing damage when it was jumping. So now we're back to the original lame explanations. And if you don't give me a good reason why no one knows about the spore drive ever again, it's not even a thought in somebody's mind when ships are stuck way out in the middle of nowhere, uh, especially since we find out that it's happened multiple times. Like there's other ships that are stuck far from home and none of them ever think about this. So there's got to be a bigger, better explanation for this. And we thought we had it. And now we know that that is not the case. So that was a little disappointing. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing on my dislikes list, we talked about it briefly, is May's explanation of how Hugh came to be. It's like, okay, I understand it. Stamets was in and out of the network at the time. And and I had kind of said that. I said it, it wasn't while the spore drive was actively being used, but it was while the spores were active on the ship. And in this case, it was while Stamets was actively in and out of the network. He was kind of coming back and forth. Okay, that's when Culber died. And then his energy was transferred to, to Stamets in a moment of lucidity in our universe and then transferred mm -hmm. over to the mycelial network when he went back. So they get this weird spike of energy and they decide, hey, let's reconstitute it into whatever it used to be. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Hey, look, it's a person. Okay, now let's eat it. And <laughs> then they're mad when it doesn't want to be eaten. <laughs> Right. It's like, okay, well, you, you, you made it, you built it. And she acknowledges, like, she doesn't just, it, it isn't like later found out. Like she says, we found this energy, we recreated it. And then when we tried to disintegrate it again, it uh, went crazy on us. Well, it, it didn't want to get eaten. Like, right. how is this confusing to you? <laughs> so that, that whole explanation, like, I get where they were going with it. And I accept that as a way to bring Culber back, mostly because I, I love the Culber character and I love the relationship between him and Stamets. Like, I really feel like that's going to be a good thing for the show in general. So mm -hmm. I'm willing to overlook the whole bringing back from the dead thing. And I, and I said this, I think, either last week or the week before, that as long as they made it somewhat plausible, I'd be okay with it. And I'm glad they made it in a way that it's not okay. just everybody who dies leaves a piece of themselves in the mycelial network, so we could theoretically go back and get anybody. No, this was a very, very specific situation. It's not something that could be easily recreated, if ever. So it's not like they could just 
use this to bring anybody back anytime. What I think was odd was that the network is, they should have left, like Culver could have just been running around the network trying to find Discovery and Stamets, and the threat to the network still could have been Discovery. Two birds with one stone here, killing my two of my dislikes right there. You know, instead of making Culver out to be this monster that they're scared of, but that which they created themselves. Like, I'm like, um, what? (laughs) I don't understand what you're doing here. So that I kind of, I, I didn't really like the way they that she explained that and i don't know if it was just overly simplified for time or what but Mm -hmm. yeah that seemed a little off yeah it was it was weird i don't get it really and i wish we had more time to go into it and i think they will in other episodes and that kind of leads into my unanswered question is this hugh really the katra in reincarnation of hugh or is this Stamets' memories of Hugh in a physical form. Was it in the stuff that got transferred? (laughs) Like, was it how Spock transferred his Katra to McCoy? Or was it just the intense emotion that Stamets was feeling at that time when he was holding Hugh in his arms Mm -hmm. that he, like, created this energy and pushed it? into the network right no i totally get that and i i hope that they that they delve deeper into that because i think that's a valid question here's my theory on it Mm -hmm. i think it's neither one of those necessarily i think what it is what they showed specifically was one of hugh's tears being picked up by stamets when he when he kissed his cheek when he was dying or or Mm -hmm. he was already dead but he was there and he was you know so i think there was an actual dna transfer and we know that in the star trek universe they've shown before that dna can somehow transfer memories as well i think the energy that was transferred was Culber's DNA encoded into an energy burst. And so that's what they reconstituted him as. And of course, in this universe, that includes all his memories and feelings and everything like that, not just a clone of him with no history, which is what mm-hmm. would actually happen if you just reconstituted someone from their DNA. I don't think it's just Stamets' memories. I think it is actually Hugh, but I don't think they're going to go with the whole Katra thing of it. However... I could be very wrong on that since they are kind of going for this whole faith versus science type of thing. This Mm -hmm. might be a kind of what is a soul type of question that they're trying to start to introduce. So there might be, you know, since we've already seen, they've already touched on the Katra thing with Sarek and Michael in the first season. Maybe they'll kind of delve into that a little bit on this one. Maybe it's just when two people are connected that closely, there can be a transfer of, of energy that is uh, what the Vulcans would call a Katra. Mm-hmm. So as you, you know, perfect unanswered question. Cause we don't know. There's so many possible answers. Right. Um, do you have any unanswered questions? I do have a couple of unanswered questions. Uh, one of them, I decided to add this originally was in my dislikes. And then I decided to move it to unanswered questions because I'm hoping that this is something that they explain a little bit later on. But I'm wondering just why was Giorgio trying to evade discovery? Why was she in Spock's shuttle in the first place? Like they're chasing all over after Spock's shuttle. When they find it, she tries to get away from them. And it turns out to be her. And she says she found it drifting. Okay, that's great. So you found the shuttle drifting. Why are you still flying it? (laughs) Right. Why haven't you taken it back to your ship? Why aren't you in a Section 31 shuttle? Like, why are you 
what I don't, what just why? <laughs> that's right. why that's why I moved it from dislikes to unanswered questions because I'm really hoping that they give us a good explanation. Maybe there was some reason that she thought like, okay, if I stay in this shuttle, maybe when I find him, he won't run because he'll just think it's his own shuttle. At, I don't know. I don't know how they're going to explain that away. I don't know if they're even going to bother touching on it again. But it was very confusing to me as to why Giorgio was in that shuttle to begin with and then why she tried to evade discovery when they found her. I was like, but what? I mean, it made for a great scene, of course, when they mm-hmm. bring her on board and we have that whole thing with Michael and her and Pike. But it was like, but but why? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, right. Another unanswered question I have is I wonder, you know, Michael and Pike, uh, Pike obviously knows something is up between Michael and Giorgio because he knows them as being close. And, you know, mutiny aside, the animosity between them doesn't seem normal to him, and he knows something is going on there. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Michael is going to be able to keep that secret for very much longer, and I wonder how long she is going to keep the secret. Is she going to reach out to someone like Cornwell or to someone else to say, Listen, I think Pike needs to know what's going on with this and Mm -hmm. get the okay to tell him. Or if she's just going to sit down and be like, okay, here's the deal and tell him because he's obviously been briefed on some of the occurrences. Uh, You know, he he knows about the the trip (laughs) that Discovery took. Right. Obviously, he doesn't know that they brought back a hitchhiker. And that's the part that I'm I'm wondering when Michael is going to tell Pike about Giorgio. And whether or not it's going to be under permission from Starfleet or whether it's just going to be something that he, she feels he needs to know and therefore is going to break protocol and tell him. So right. that's, that's a curiosity for me. And I, I do like that line when he's, again, an example of him being a great captain. She's like, there is more to the story, but I, I can't tell you right now, but I will when I can. And he's like, okay, I'm willing to accept that, but don't make me come chasing after the information. Like he basically is like, okay, I'm willing to accept that for right now. But if you withhold that information and I find out later that it was something I needed to know before you told me, like if it comes to a point where that information would have saved a life or something like that, and she hadn't told him, like he's going to be upset. And Mm -hmm. that was conveyed so well in just that one line, just that don't make me chase down that information. And again, just absolutely. I I, I freaking love Pike, man. Uh, You know, yeah. (laughs) Tyler prejudice aside, I'm loving Pike. (laughs) And my final unanswered question is Spock even going to be on the show? I mean, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> we've seen trailers, trailers, but I mean, we've only seen kid Spock so far. We have not actually seen adult Spock on this show at all, and it doesn't look like it's happening next episode either, based on the trailers. Right. So, so I mean, the uh, the trailers <laughs> that we've seen Spock in, he's either in a, a medical facility doing mm-hmm. the Vulcan neck pinch, or he's on the bridge of that Section Thirty One ship. Maybe he's just been on the Section 31 ship this entire time. Oh, that that would be hilarious. I would <laughs> laugh so hard if he just, like, comes out of one of the... Like, they're having a conversation that the non-Section 31 people leave, and then he just... Door opens, he just comes out of the room. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, you son of a gun. No, no, what would be interesting? Remember in Next Generation episode Unification Part 2, mm-hmm. where they have a hologram of part of the wall mm-hmm. and Spock and Data are hiding behind it. Yeah. And then they walk through and like Vulcan neck pinch people. 
Yeah. <laughs> what if he just has like oh and um I think didn't Stamets Stamets used a mirrors, similar yeah mirror, mirror Stamets, Stamets used a similar technique to try to hide himself from Lorca in in the mirror universe yeah yeah I'm just gonna jump and make a prediction it's not my actual prediction but Spock is on that section thirty one ship behind a, a holographic duck blind <laughs> or maybe he's now on discovery behind a holographic duck line because maybe he never did leave that shuttle. Maybe he was oh. on that shuttle when Giorgio found it behind a hologram and stayed mm. there until she was picked up by discovery and got off the shuttle. And then he came like, maybe he's hiding somewhere on discovery now with this holographic camouflage. Yeah. Ooh. Um, but yeah, I just, give us Spock already for crying out loud. (laughs) So many times we've expected to see Spock and it's like, nope, somebody else. And the clips that we've seen, they could almost easily be one episode's worth. I mean, they could (laughs) honestly, because the clips we see of him in the, in the medical facility, that could be video of what happened, you know? Cause what I'm thinking is that he didn't kill those medical personnel because we all, we, we know from the original series that, the Vulcan neck pinch is not deadly. He pretended that there was a Vulcan death grip. Was that in one of the movies or was that in the, I think it was in the movies. Was it not where he said, I, the, I used the Vulcan death grip and uh, Kirk was like, what's the Vulcan death grip? There is no such, thing. <laughs> but he didn't know that or is something to that effect. So I think he just knocked out those people and escaped. And then they're using, because for whatever reason they need to find him. They're saying that he killed those people in order to make it more urgent to find him. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Cause obviously right. we don't think unless he was actually in danger for some reason or felt that, you know, there was a reason he wouldn't just randomly kill people. Right. Not the Spock we know. Exactly. So yeah, definitely going to be interesting, but yeah, where, when, when, when are we going to get some Spock? I need me some Spock, man. Yeah. Overall score. Uh, what do you give it, Mr. Dewey? Well, for this one, I uh, once again went outside the scale. <laughs> I'm, having a, outside I'm, having, the box. I'm having a real real trouble staying within the scale one way or the other. In this case, I didn't go above or below the scale, but I did create a new rank that does not exist. I gave this episode three and a half pips. I guess that would be a lieutenant captain. I don't think that's a thing, but it should be. Captain junior grade? Yeah, yeah. Captain junior grade, lieutenant captain, one or the other. We'll call it whatever it is. I'm giving it three and a half pips because it wasn't quite up to the level of the episode I gave Captain to, but I think it was darn close. This is still one of the best episodes of Trek we've seen. Definitely one of the best episodes of Discovery we've seen. A lot happened, but again, not too much and you know it focused really on the one storyline which i appreciate honestly i think if it wasn't for the weirdness that i feel when pike deals with tyler mm-hmm. i probably would have given this a full captain it was just that that one particular dislike of mine was enough to bring it down that half pit because i was just like that one thing just didn't sit right with me especially with how much i'm liking pike as a captain so far like that just it didn't jive with the character for me and so that's where it lost that half pip. But other than that, it probably would have been a full captain. I I appreciate that. I think it's a good episode of Star Trek. I didn't think it was the best episode of Star Trek or the best episode of Discovery. So I'm giving it two and a half pips. Uh, Lieutenant Commander, very solid rank. I'm looking forward to an even better episode next time. 
All right. Sounds fair to me. I'm not going to uh, question your judgment or anything like that. So I appreciate that. <laughs> I hate that, sir. So predictions for episode, this would be episode six and beyond, would it not? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Episode six. So I think uh, this is an actual prediction now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not my fake prediction. I believe Hugh will tell Tyler that he forgives him for killing him. <laughs> and there's going to be tears flowing all over the place. Question. Yes. Will Stamets forgive Tyler for killing Hugh? Good question. I don't know. I mean, now that Hugh's back, oh, I don't know. Because I, I, I totally agree with you that I think Hugh himself will forgive him because I think Hugh is much more understanding when it comes to that sort of thing. And he's going to recognize as a doctor, especially, you know, he said even before it, like when it happened, he was telling him, he's like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what right. you are. And that's why he killed him. Like, so I totally get that Hugh would probably forgive him because he there's he has no reason not to, I think. Stamets, on the other hand, that's another question altogether because even though Hugh's back, he still put him through a lot. Right. Um, and we did see, you know, that look that he gave him this episode. And then there was last season when he talked to me, he's like, do you... Does it tear you apart? Or he said something to that effect. He's like, does it destroy you when you think about it? And Tyler's like, yes. And he's like, good. And then he walked away. I was like, ding. (laughs) So I don't know if uh, Stamets is as forgiving, but being that he has Hugh back, maybe, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. I don't know. But I, I do agree with you. I think Hugh will be the first to forgive Tyler. And then maybe Stamets will come along after the fact. Right. So, yeah, how about uh, what are your predictions for six and beyond? Well, for episode six, it really looks like, based on the trailer, that it's going to be all Discovery versus the Bau. Um It didn't look like they really had any other storylines going on. So mm-hmm. I think uh, I think General Order 1 is going to get broken so hard next episode. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I think that uh, Discovery is going to step in and attempt to stop the Ba'ul from doing what they're doing with the Kelpians. And I think Saru is going to be a big part of that. I think it's going to be a Saru-heavy episode, which I'm always down for. So that's good news. Indeed. As for Beyond, for the rest of the season... And this is what I was talking about a little bit earlier. I think that at some point in this season, maybe near the end, we're going to see Section 31, as we're seeing it now, officially, quote unquote, disbanded or destroyed or closed down or however you want to put it. Mm -hmm. And that's how we're going to explain how in the future it's much more secret because we're going to see them officially and publicly closed down. But in reality, they're just going to go underground, which explains why in later series, they're much more secretive and less known because everybody for hundreds of years have thought that they were gone, you know, for decades. Mm -hmm. Anyways, they they thought they were were gone. That would be the only logical explanation for me to to go from from where they were in Enterprise to now can just be overgrowth, you know, overexpansion. Right. A war is always, anytime you have a war, your secret organizations are going to come to the forefront more and more. So I can understand why they're more known right now. But you don't, you, you can't put that jack-in-the-box back in the box once it's out, necessarily. So right. in order for them to do that, to get it back to the point that we saw where it was never even mentioned in Next Gen, and then it was very, very secretive in Deep Space Nine, I think in order for it to get back to that point, we're going to have to see a very public disbandment of Section 31, and then, you know, a very, a very private, secretive showing that they're still there, they're just going back to their original roots of being a very, very secret organization. Okay. I, uh, 
I think that would be a good way around it and probably the only way. Yeah, because right now everybody and their mama knows about them. I mean, they right. are not a very secret, secret organization. Everybody just, they're even referred to a couple of times just as Starfleet Intelligence. Right. Whereas in later seasons, yeah. we know that there is a Starfleet Intelligence and a Section 31 that is completely independent of Starfleet Intelligence and is secret and independent. So I think that's what we're going to see is like right now, I think that they're kind of one in the same. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, either in this season or possibly in the Section 31 series, depending on how they play that out, we're going to see this. That, that's My prediction is that at the end of this season, they're going to show that kind of disbandment, show them publicly being shut down as something that is no longer necessary now that we're not in a time of war, blah, 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 Federation, this Federation, that. But then we're going to show, you know, that end credit scene is going to be showing how they're meeting in a back room to discuss how to proceed. And that's going to lead us into the Section 31 show where we're going to see how they work in the actual shadows without anybody knowing who and what they are. Right. That's that's my guess. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I also thought the discovery was causing a major uh, eco disaster in the MySQL network, and that's how they were going to destroy the scoreboard drive. But you know, hey, what do I know? <laughs> right. All right. Well, that's uh, it for the episode. I'm looking forward to next week. Like you said, looks Saru heavy. Yep. Who doesn't like Saru? I don't know, and if I don't want to know, I don't want to <laughs> know someone who doesn't like Saru. I was that was my my only complaint about this episode. It was very Saru light, but obviously, <laughs> if they were getting ready for a you know Saru focused episode next week, that's probably why we only saw a little bit of him this week. So I'm okay right. with it if we're gonna get a, a good solid Kelpian episode next week, and it definitely looks like like that from the trailer. So yeah, so I guess until next week, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you later. Live long and prosper. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod.